Welcome to the Brunch and Slay podcast, your weekly dose of inspiration. Well, we remember that if she can, I can, we all can. I'm your host, Amira Sane, founder of Brunch and Slay, a lifestyle brand created to inspire women to live their best life every day. Everybody, welcome back to Brunch and Slay. I'm your host and founder of Brunch and Slay Media, Amira Sane. And today, you guys, once again, you're in for a real treat. I consider myself honored to get this fabulous woman to agree to be on the show. I think you're going to enjoy everything that she has to say and really enjoy about everything about her story and how she got to where she is. She is the CEO and founder of an award-winning agency, Buzz Marketing Group. She's an author of an amazing book series, an academic director of leadership in the business of world, business world at Wharton at the University of Pennsylvania. Welcome to the show, Miss Tina Wells. Hello, Tina. Hello, Mira. How are you? I am doing pretty great. Pretty great. I have no complaints. How about yourself? I am doing really well. I'm having a good start to the new year, so that's always nice. Oh, absolutely. You can't ask for much more than that. I don't think we can. <laughs> that's true. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Your spirit and your energy, I've seen you at many places. And I want to say, and I could be wrong, so feel no need to agree just because we're on the air. Didn't I see you uh, on a panel at Create and Cultivate in Austin maybe a year or two? Yes. Yes. I did that a couple of years ago. Yeah. Wasn't that a cold day in Austin? Do I remember correctly, right? It was like freezing. Yes. Definitely freezing. And I remember thinking, I don't know how, because you didn't take one of the blankets. I don't, I don't remember you taking a blanket. No, because I was moderating one. I did back to back too. I was like moderating a panel and then on a panel. Yeah, I didn't take a blanket. Yeah. And I remember thinking she is a trooper, man. She's really pulling this <laughs> off because I think my, te- I, I know my teeth were chattering and I was moving around in the audience. So I can only imagine what you felt like. So I knew right then that you were, you were a woman to watch because you definitely did that. <laughs> and smiled and asked great questions. So yes, kudos. Well, thank to you. <laughs> All right. So I know you have something really, you have a lot of things that are really cool. Number one, um, you know, I know that you've been at this for a while, but you have something that I really like that I think the Bunch of Slate tribe will connect with. And that's your Elevation tribe. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'm, a, I'm currently in the last year of my fellowship at the Aspen Institute. I'm a Henry Crown Fellow. And as part of the fellowship, you have to create a venture. And so um, I thought for a while my venture would focus on maybe creating another agency that was more focused on social activism. And then I want to say September 2017, I read an article um, in Fortune called The Black Ceiling, and it was an article, it really troubled me. It was really, you know, it was kind of focused on Ursula Burns leaving Xerox, but the point was when she left, there'd be no black women leading Fortune 500 companies, and the bigger issue is that there were none in the pipeline, and so it talked about numerous reasons why this was happening, Um, you know, lack of, you know, a network, lack of net worth. Um, you know, lack of education. And what it really kind of spoke to me about was, well, it's just a lack of a tribe, right? When you think about how people get to where they get to, it's really is net worth a network. And so I thought, well, I can't necessarily do anything about, about a net worth, but creating a network and, and creating the ability for women um, to connect 
with each other and to connect with my friend tour, as I call them, um, is maybe something that could be part of a solution. Because I do think that there are many networks that like get you really excited to get going. But then once you've decided to start a business or to really launch your side hustle or to take on a bigger leadership role within your organization, how do you do it? And so when I think about Elevation Tribe and what I want it to be, I really think about those conversations I have with my girlfriends that probably take place after nine o'clock at night when, you know, the kids are down, the family's fed, and we're just talking about, you know, decisions we need to make. And so I wanted to find a way to really bring those conversations to light to help as many women as we can. Man, that everything you said, it just totally resonated with me because we always say that all the time, your net worth is your network. Um, and having women of color and multicultural women have limited access to people who have had those C-level positions or who truly have thrived in award-winning marketing agencies. It's, it's Sometimes you feel like it's unattainable to even get relationships with those people. So I think that's amazing that you saw the need and you went after it and created something uh, in, a, in a place for folks like me and people who are out here looking and searching for people to connect with in an organic way. So, man, that's amazing. Well, thank you. Um, and it's, it's really needed. And I think like, like to your point, when, when I look back at my own story, you know, this marks the 23rd year of my agency and tomorrow I'm actually going to go spend the afternoon with my fifth grade teacher because her, her students are big Mackenzie Blue fans. So I'm going to meet 300 students, but I think back to my teachers like her, who were so inspirational to me and just all the people along the way who went out of their way to help me when they didn't have to do that. And I think social media both creates those opportunities and also almost limits those opportunities, right? For that natural engagement of like physically being in front of someone and getting to know them and saying, I have this idea for you, or have you thought about this? I want to help you in this way. Uh, And so I think we're just trying to bring that back to say, yes, of course, niche networks are a huge trend. But for me, you know, Elevation Tribe is a lot less about a Tina Wells branded thing and a lot more about really community and how we all need to help each other a bit more. Yeah, and so needed. So you mentioned that you had the honor of being accepted into the Henry Crown Fellowship Program. Can you tell us about that and what that is for those folks who don't know? Yes. Uh, So the Henry Crown Fellowship is a fellowship within the Aspen Global Leadership Network at the Aspen Aspen Institute. And I believe every year they select 20 to 22 fellows. And, um, you know, the goal is to really reach people at an inflection point in their life, Um, normally people between the ages of 30 and 45. And, you know, people who are quite visible, who they really can get to commit to, I would say it's more than committing to a life of service, because it's really committed to doing something in the for-profit space um, that really is bringing good to the for-profit space. And so um, when, when I'm teaching at Penn, I talk to my students about, um, you know, a for-profit, a non-profit, but we're in this new space called for-purpose. And I would say, every Henry Crown project is really in the for-purpose space, right? So it's a for-profit venture, but it, or, you know, coming out of a for-profit or birthed by a for-profit leader who really wants to do something really big and good in the world. Now, you mentioned that this is your 23rd year um, with Buzz Marketing. That's amazing. Tell us a little bit about what, where you started and how you decided that going on your own and becoming your own boss and creating this agency was the right thing for you. 
Yeah, so I always like to um, lead with a disclaimer that I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I definitely did not set out to start a business. I wanted to be a fashion editor. That was actually the dream gig. And when I was 15, I, I replied to an ad in Seventeen Magazine. Uh, there was a newspaper for girls looking for writers. And so I typed up a sample column. My mom faxed it from work and I got a job as a product review editor. And I didn't really know what that meant, but I was super excited about it. And I ended up reviewing and writing about a lot of products. And I would send the clips to the companies I wrote about and they would always send me more product and say, if I keep, you know, I want to keep sending a product, keep telling me what you think. And so I thought it was a, a dream job. And I enlisted some friends. We would average out our scores. I would do all of this, you know, all the math and computation and, and get comments from them. And, you know, I, I would send these reports to these clients and I'm using air quotes because I didn't, you know, get paid for this. And so one of the clients called me one day and said, I have something really important to tell you. Um, you know, I just hired a company, paid them $25,000 for market research. And what you and your friends did was 10 times better. You have a business it's called market research you know, you should figure out what that means. And so at the time I was a freshman at Hood College, I was taking an intro to business class with the head of the department. And I went to see her during office hours. I told her what I had been up to. And she said, why don't you take an independent study with me and, and let's figure out if we can make this a business. And it was a very grueling 13 weeks of, you know, being told things were not quite right and lots of rewrites. And, you know, Dr. Jose gave me the best advice. I think during this time, it was like right around the first internet boom. And she said, you know, you really need to build a bricks and mortar business and build a strong business that can withstand, you know, any trend that's coming or going. And, and, you know, to this day, I still really utilize that business plan I built, you know, I've been out of college now for almost 20 years, not even 17 years. Um, but I still go back to that plan I was building as an undergraduate. So it's definitely great advice. And, you know, even my senior year of college, I didn't know that I wanted to keep doing this. I talked to my advisor about going to law school and I made a deal with him. I said, I'll give it a year. And if I can do something meaningful within a year, then I'll, I'll keep going. And obviously, many years later, it seemed to have worked. Wow. So and now one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about the isolation of entrepreneurship. I know a lot of times when you're building something, you don't always have people who've done it before you. You're kind of a, a I guess, a, you definitely are a Renaissance woman, but you're also a person who's creating and you're a pioneer. Um, what has that been like? Have you experienced that, that problem of lo loneliness and entrepreneurship? I think... It's interesting how you forget. Um, when I think about my life now and think about all the entrepreneurial organizations that I'm a member of, um, I feel like people get me. They get what I do. It, it's very fulfilling. You have tons of people in the space. But when I started, no one did what I did. I mean, no one. This I, Again, this is 1996. You know, my parents would have people say to them, She's so smart. You know, I was valedictorian in high school. She's so smart. Oh, she could be a lawyer or a doctor. Like they were really like pained for my parents to have a daughter who was an entrepreneur because no one really got at that time what it meant, you know, and it was, I wouldn't say it was lonely because I've always had really great friends, but I don't really think for a very long time anyone understood what I was doing. Research you can understand, but like trend spotting and influencer marketing, you know, people didn't really get what that was. Um, so I do think at first it, it was definitely lonely. I remember the day that, because it's almost 10 years now, my friend Scott Gerber called 
and told me he was starting something called the Young Entrepreneurs Council. And I thought, oh my God, people like me, there are more people like me and we're all going to have a home for people like us. And that was really exciting for me that I could join this network with other young entrepreneurs. And so it was definitely a solid 10 years in my career, I think, before um, I found that. But also it kind of suited me. I'm naturally an introvert. I think a lot of my job is very extroverted, but for me personally, I'm very happy just kind of like reading a book or watching something and very content to be by myself. So, you know, I think it fit my personality, but, you know, for young entrepreneurs today, I think they're so lucky to go into it, you know, knowing that they can find a community of like-minded individuals. Yes, I I definitely think that's something that's great, but you mentioned something that I think a, a lot of people struggle with. You knew what you wanted to do after getting some great guidance from your mentors in undergrad. And you knew that there was a different path. And of course, family members in our community and other people thought you should be doing something else. Was it difficult for you to put your foot down and say, no, I'm doing what I need to be doing and not drink the Kool-Aid and go to law school and, you know, deter your dream? How, How did you handle that and navigate those waters? Uh, I'm stubborn by nature, so (laughs) I generally don't really listen to other people's advice too much. Um, You know, and I also, that's kind of one of my tips um, for people is I have no more than five people in my life whose advice I trust because we're all, in many instances, we're all trying new things and trying to do things. And so if you haven't gotten to where I want to get to or done what I want to do, you know, everyone has opinions based on situations that have occurred in their own lives, right? So it's like if you ask someone who's going through a brutal divorce, should you get married? Their advice might be colored. Or if you ask someone who's, you know, been in a partnership where the partners in business have been really bad to them. Should I get into a partner? You know, you have to understand what motivates people to, you know, suggest or not suggest things. And so I've always had a, I think number one is women, we sometimes neglect our gut instinct. And I can't tell you how many times I've had a gut instinct that something wasn't quite right. And I went ahead with it anyway, thinking maybe I was just wrong only to realize what I thought was actually true. And so, you know, I I think for me, I'm just a very stubborn person. And sometimes that's great. And sometimes that's not, but I see a vision and I'm like, this is what's happening. Get on board or or don't. Um, And if I really feel a strong conviction about something, then I'm going to do it. Same with Mackenzie Blue. You know, I can't tell you how many publishers said no, no, no. The publisher that ended up buying the series at first said no to the series. And so I, I have a lot of like very strong no's in my career that have come back to be, you know, great yeses. More Brunch and Slay after this. Hey, you fabulous powerhouses. Having you support the podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing is awesome. And it's made each episode reach more and more people every week. But did you know that as a listener-supported show, we rely on you to keep these wheels turning? And for as little as $1 a month, you help me keep giving you great content and even better guests. And yes, ma'am, you heard that right. For only $12 a year, you support the dream. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash brunch and slay that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash brunch and slay and now back to brunch and slay wow so now let's talk about Mackenzie blue tell us about how that got started and how one book became a series and where the idea even came from 
Yes. Yeah, so we'll talk about where the idea came from first. So um, a big part of, of my job is doing market research. And when I say the year was like 2006. And so I've been doing a lot of research for um, major consumer packaged goods companies around this new emerging consumer we called the tween. And in, in talking with tweens, it's a lot lot of research with their moms. And so I was in a focus group, we're having a break and a mom came up to me and said, you know, you seem to be the type of person that I can talk to about this type of thing. And she kind of launched into a dilemma she was having where her daughter who was 10 was reading Gossip Girl. And she said, I'm really happy she's reading, but this isn't the material I want her to read. And at the time it was like, well, as a 26 year old, I kind of love Gossip Girl, but I've already been through middle school, high school, you know, this is just fiction for me, but for girls, is this how they're really thinking about life? And so I kind of posed a question to myself saying, okay, I'm a marketer. I know the bad rap marketers get, but could I do something good? Could I figure out a way to kind of get, you know, put a spin on mean girl culture and really focus on being a good girl, making good decisions. And then while I'm at it, could I talk about STEM and STEAM? And could we really do something that's a bit more creative about a really diverse group of, of kids who are friends and, and who get to know each other. And so um, it took me a couple months at this time, you know, that point in my career, it was working like crazy, like no weekends off, just grinding, right? There, there's definitely a period in entrepreneurship where you're just grinding. And so I had two weeks off over the holidays and I thought I'm going to, I'm going to write 50 pages of what I hope becomes something. And I showed it to a few friends in the industry and said, what do you think about this? Do you think this could become a thing? And they all were like, this is really awesome. And so I had been doing some marketing for a publishing company. Uh, I went to the publishing company and, and they, they'd asked me, would you think about writing a book? And I said, no. And then I went to the editor I was working with and I said, who are the top agents that you purchase books from? They gave me a list. And so um, I started, you know, reaching out to them saying, here's what I'm working on um, and ended up finding a great agent. And so, you know, she started taking it out. I had already had an offer um, on the series, but still wanted to get an agent involved and, you know, ended up at HarperCollins, which has just been the best home for Mackenzie Blue. And, you know, literally when I think you get into a partnership, for me, the goal is always that my partner is going to make this 500 times better than I could ever do on my own. And Harper went above and beyond, you know, with what they created with me, with Mackenzie, and just the way artistically, you know, getting me with a really great art director. And, you know, I had brought the artist, um, Michael Sagawa, who did all the drawings, but that is, was probably next to Elevation, the most creative thing I've ever gotten to do in my life. And it's been really, really, really a blessing. And it's great. You know, my niece was not born when I wrote the first book and now she's nine and they're written for fifth grade, 10 year old girls. So she's now starting to explore Mackenzie. And it's really awesome to see that. How cool is that? And I think it's really, this is a great example of someone who is not letting society tell them that they need to be in one particular lane. You've been wanting to write since way back, probably before you wrote for 17. Um, oh, and yeah. yeah, and that fire, it didn't stop. And it just was about timing and a season in your life. And I'm really excited hearing your story because so many of us have more than one thing that we're good at, but society says, focus on that one thing, which I get it. You know, you can't be all over the place. We, it's, a, it's really a tight rope <laughs> that we walk trying to find success and success in a way that can provide for us mon financially and, and ways to monetize our life. But to be able to have more than one thing, giving back to community and having something that provides purpose in your life, having something, yeah. yeah. 
And I was going to say to your point, you know, just from a financial perspective, I think, you know, as offered as a bit of encouragement to the listeners, I made more money in my publishing deal than I did from like what an entire client would pay me over 12 months in one lump sum. And so, you know, I do think there are people that were kind of like, why isn't she growing the agency? Why is she doing like, why did she decide that this was the thing and it, it did work out financially. I've also now created this amazing IP that I own all of. You know, I own every single right. I license my books to Harper. I had a brilliant lawyer that I worked with who really has protected me. So in, you know, next month, next year, if I want to go write 10 more books, or if I going to, you know, if I want to make a video game, whatever I want to do, I'm going to own all of that. Um, and, and at least have the ability on my on my own behalf to negotiate those deals. And I find, you know, people sometimes give advice. And again, to my earlier point, they're not in your shoes and they're not making the decision you're, you need to make for your own life. They're going to give you the advice and walk away back to their life, right? And so, you know, sometimes you have to really think like, is this the best decision for me to make right now? And initially, when I've been asked about it, I said, no, I was like, I'm busy with the agency. And then I took that moment and sorry, just so I can make this clear, I was asked, I was doing the marketing for the publishing company and they said, you should consider writing a book. And I said, no. And then in my, you know, a couple weeks later, I'm doing focus groups and a mom comes up to me and tells me the problem. And I think, okay, this might be the time to actually do the book. And so sometimes it does take, you know, a few different people bringing something up for us to consider it. Yeah. And the seed was planted already. You had a desire to create. Um, and I and I thank you for being transparent about the publishing deal because a lot of times people tend to think you cannot find joy or finances in pursuing your dream. And when you really answer the call, it will work itself out is what I believe. So that's definitely an example of it working itself out. Oh, definitely. And I think, you know, I remember I was talking to my editor, a former editor at one point, and she said, we're going to do this thing. And I said, no no, you can't do that thing because I, have, I haven't given you the right to do that thing. And she said, no, no, there's no way you have the right to do that thing. It was a really nice back and forth. I said, no, I guarantee you I do. And she went and pulled my contract. She said, just so you know, I've never seen a contract like this in the history of this publishing company. And I said, yeah, I have a really great lawyer and he did a really great job, huh? And back to that thing that's not happening. And so, you know, <laughs> and I will also say it took him nine months to negotiate that deal. Wow. And you didn't get, you know, let me ask you this, during that process, especially as a new author, were you ever afraid and just wanted to kind of buckle in just so you can have that opportunity? How did you stay fast and allow him to keep on negotiating? No, because I think, again, this would be another piece of advice. I trusted him 110%. I still trust him 110% with, with my entertainment business deals. And when you get to the point where you are like doing the work for the person or you're not seeing eye to eye on what had to happen at the end of the day, every single thing he was doing was to protect me and not, and to allow me to make the best decisions for my creation many years from now. And so had I rushed any of that, I would have lost rights. I would have lost things that would be really like now when I sit down and think, oh, I could do X with McKenzie or I could do Y. I have the ability to do that only because I waited it out. And by the way, I, I am not a patient person. So I don't know why I really think I'm just like some, I'm most impatient person. So where I, I found the strength to like let him do what he was doing, I don't really know, but I just knew it was right. And I knew I was going to get to where I wanted to get to if I just let him keep doing what he was doing. 
So what number, what, where you are, uh, excuse me, where are you in the series now? What number book are you on? So we've done five books, which is the full commitment. And now I'm thinking, I've been thinking about TV for a while. Um, I often say if you're a business person that gets into creating, you feel like, um, which is like the two angels on either shoulder, you're constantly going back and forth because the creative in you wants one thing, but the business person knows you have to wait for the right deal. And, you know, when I started, the only place with Mackenzie, the only place to end up on TV was really Nick or Disney. And both have, um, how do I say this? Honestly, very challenging deals for creatives um, that involve giving up a lot of rights. And so I knew that that was something that I just wouldn't be comfortable with at the time. And now, you know, 10 years later, there, think about all the streaming options we have. It's really yeah. created a lot of control for creatives. It's created, you know, that supply demand. I teach a lot about this. You know, it's awesome to see what's happened in TV because now there's so many places for content and ways for it to be distributed. And so, you know, now I'm thinking, do I want to do um, Kindle singles? Do I want to put out a new book every few months? You know, there, there are a lot of opportunities there. And, and because I held off on doing it all 10 years ago, you know, there are ways to make the series new again. There could be a movie. So, I, you know, I think I'm just open to exploring what might make sense for Mackenzie, you know, but I got really great advice um, from an agent who said, Mackenzie's like Scooby-Doo. You could do it live action. You could do it animation. You could do it now, or you could do it in 20 years. And that really gave me the freedom to not feel like everything had to happen right now. Wow. Sounds like you've been surrounded by some really amazing people in your journey. Yes. I'm very lucky. Definitely. Yeah. So what's on the horizon for you now? I know your plate stays full and your cup runneth over. What are you working on now that you can share? Um, <laughs> yes. And I'm, I am really intentionally focused on doing more with less. And I think, you know, launching Elevation was a really big to do last year and just getting that off the ground. And this year is really about building it, listening to our members. You know, I, I got a great message yesterday from a member. We had recommended, um, you know, some content for people who were pitching new business in our last newsletter. And she called and said, I've been consuming this and it's been unbelievable. I just want you to know you guys are doing such great work. And, and you know, I think for me and my editorial director, Stephanie Smith, we're just really thinking about building what the tribe needs. Um, I, for me personally this year, over the holidays, I opened up my schedule to some tribe members to just talk to them about their businesses and what they're working on. And I really enjoyed it. I've never ever personally coached or, or been like a personal business advisor. It's something I'm going to do this year just for a select group of women. But I just want to see, you know, when I teach, I have 160 students that I'm with over four weeks. And so I don't unfortunately get to know them as well as I'd like. But through a coaching exercise, I do think I would get to really help some companies intimately, not via the agency. So creating, um, you know, an opportunity that's more financially feasible for small business owners. And I think it's definitely an extension of elevation to say, okay, if I really want to create um, a bit more equality, whether that's through, you know, technology, which I think is a great democratizer, I really also feel that I could be a little bit more open and, and figure out ways to give my time in a way that makes sense to really help, you know, some female business owners. So I think that's really my focus this year. Writing, I hope to get 
to doing a bit more writing, um, you know, whether it's Mackenzie Blue or, you know, I have about six or seven other projects I've also been working on. So maybe polishing one of those off and bringing it to fruition could happen this year. But, you know, it's not about a lot of new stuff. I think it's like a back to basics year and how do we do more um, by doing a lot less. Love it. And can't wait to see what's in store. Um, so now I would love for everybody to get to know a little bit more about your personality. Okay. Um, yeah. So bear with me. Say the first thing that comes to your mind. No pressure. <laughs> All right. So mimosa or Bloody Mary? Oh, mimosa. Brunch or lunch? Oh, brunch for sure. Thanksgiving or Christmas? Thanksgiving. All right. So now I want to ask you a question. I want you to finish the sentence. I am happiest when? I'm with my niece. Oh, and I want women to? Launch, grow, and lead companies. Yes, ma'am. I forgive myself for? Judging myself. Oh, that's a good one. Now, one of the things I really think is important about any tribe and any time we ask people to give of themselves is that we, we return the favor. So I'd like to know right now, what vibes or prayers or great wishes can the Brunch and Slay tribe send your way to help you on your journey? Um, I think what would be most helpful, like I said, it's a real goal for me to help personally as many women as I can this year. And sometimes we think about the time commitment. And so I would really just, I think my prayer is that um, uh, time just expands, whatever that means so that I can be helpful. And, and really that I'm filling my plate with things that are serving, you know, that are of the highest good and the highest service. And that means there's probably going to be a lot of no's. And so it's just, you know, I want to have the content and have whatever I can do to help serve as many people as possible. And I think that's probably my biggest prayer this year. All right, guys, you heard it. So we know what we need to do. So this Saturday, you can brunch with anybody in the world, dead or alive. Who are you brunching with? Ooh, that is a great question. Only one person? No, as many as you want. As many as I want. Okay. Um, oh, oh, my gosh. This is so, this is such a good question. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like all the people I love, but okay. Melody Hobson for sure. Um, Issa Rae because she's so funny. Yes. Um, let me think about who. Well, Stephanie Smith, because I would always want to brunch with my co-founder, my niece Phoebe, because she just brings it all of it. <laughs> um, Trevor Noah, because oh, I yeah. just think he's so smart. I just would want to like, know what he thinks about everything. Um, and his book was like unbelievable. Um, Tara Westover, I just finished her book Educated and it was unbelievable. Um, and let me see who else. My friend Matt Mullenweg, he founded WordPress and I just, Matt, I love the way Matt thinks. And so, yes, I think if I could brunch with Matt and then Easter Ray, that would be like such an interesting experience. Um, and probably my youngest brother, William, he's a composer and writer, and he's worked with unbelievable artists, everyone from like Wu-Tang to Barbara Streisand, and he always has a fun, he also worked on Hamilton, so definitely Will would, would add some fun to the brunch. 
man, I want to come to your brunch. I just want to sit in your circle because I'm inspired. Just listen to the people who are on your phone log. <laughs> I do have, that's one of the things I, I am very proud of the network I've built over many years and, and my ability to put the network um, to work for my friends. It's been great. Wow. So what part of your life or what area in your life are you currently slaying? Mm, am I currently slaying? I would actually, I was just talking to, to Steph about this um, in our, our downloads. Um, and I would say probably my spiritual life. I was not slaying that for a couple of years. I just was telling her post-election, I had a real, um, it was not a come to Jesus moment. It was like the opposite of a come to Jesus Um where I was just, you know, my parents, I don't know if I've said this, my parents are pastors. So um, my dad, um, they've retired like formerly from ministry, but still do a lot of community work. And so I grew up in church. My grandfather was a pastor. And after 2016, I was just kind of like, I, I'm having a little bit of um, an identity crisis around faith. And act- in actuality, how we're kind of misconstruing some of our Christian values in ways that don't align with my personal values and how I view, you know, the sanctity of life and how we talk about people and immigration and all of these things. And so I kind of just took a back seat. And, you know, it was great to talk to my parents about that, to know that they also had had some of the same concerns and, and you know, how they worked through them. And, and so, you know, I think finding my way back to a church and finding my way back to, you know, my spiritual life has been, um, really interesting. And it was never like, for me, it was really not about like losing faith in God. I never had that crisis. Um, It was more just people and why we were acting the way we were acting. And I think in some ways are still acting. And so I think, you know, I talked to several friends who also kind of had a little bit of a crisis. And I think we're all in a place now where we're like, okay, we just have to figure out how best to fight this. And, and, you know, being in crisis is not going to help other people and help with ways that, that, you know, the world needs to, to get some help right now, I think, and more love. And so, um, yeah, I think that's one area where I'm slaying. Um, but, you know, there's always work to do. No, thank you for sharing that. That's just something that you know, a lot of people struggle with or have those opportunities in that time in their life. And it's really awesome that you were able to talk to your parents openly about that, because I can just imagine how difficult it was probably to start that conversation. Um, I feel like they were actually in the same place. My parents <laughs> keep it so real. That's why I love them. <laughs> because we can talk and I'm like, what is going on? And then it's, you know, it was really tough. And I think sometimes we don't, my pastor was talking about this this morning about, you know, church and culture and, and the culture of church where we just kind of make things acceptable that kind of really aren't. And I think if you've been a longtime church member, you know, many times that some things seem acceptable when they're not. And I appreciate that they were like, yes, you're right. This behavior isn't acceptable. And, but we have different ways of thinking about how to solve it. You know, or for me, it was like, I just can't be bothered with any of it. Right. I'm very stubborn and very extreme. So. <laughs> well, I know after listening to this conversation, tons of folks are going to want to follow you and get to know more about you. Where can they follow you and how can they support you? Um, thank you. So the first thing I would say is tinawells.com is my hub of all things um, happening in life, but also it's a place with a lot of free content that's really designed for women who want to launch, grow, and lead companies. You can also sign up for our newsletter. Um, elevationtribe.com is where you can buy the magazine. We call it a work journal. Um, the first issue is amazing. 
Uh, there are over, I think, 20 women who have contributed articles and ideas and everything from how to make your business bankable to financially where you should be if you want to start a business and what you need to know. There's a worksheet in there that really helps you through the process of thinking about if you should start that business. And so I would say um, definitely get the magazine. And then my, my Instagram is Tina Wells underscore. All right. And I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share your story and to inspire us. I really enjoyed this conversation and getting to know more about you. Um, you are definitely, I already knew you were something special, but man, thank you. Thank you. This has been so fun. I'm so glad we got to chat. Yes, guys. And you know what I'm about to say. If you love what you're hearing, if you've been inspired, if you know someone who been who will be inspired by this episode, go ahead and share it on whatever social media platform you're on. Tag us so that we can shout you out. And if you haven't subscribed already, do so. And don't forget to review. I want to thank you for listening to us wherever you are. And always, always remember that if she can, I can, we all can. I'm Amira, and until next time, this is Bunch and Flames.